This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. I'm sick with this. I'm sick with this. Since you were just a button, large judgment. My own sweet down. Did it teach whatever? I didn't recognize you for this anymore. I don't want to be defeated. 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 Hey, my sinners. What's happening? Welcome back to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. As always, I'm your host, Shane Told, talking to you from beautiful New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, what a great city. What a fun city. If you if you ever get the chance to come down to New Orleans, if you haven't been here before, it's it's a party, man. And it's it's funny, you know, like it's not a city that Silverstein plays very often. It it doesn't seem to be you know, a major market, you know, for music, which is ridiculous because it is just, I think, not our kind of music because you just, you walk around and I hadn't really done it too much until now, but you walk around the streets and it's like, there's bands in every bar and I'm talking about like Sunday, Monday night, bars, bands in every bar and there's just people on the street with a guitar. They're not even like busking for money. They're just... It's just a musical city. Beautiful, beautiful place. So happy to be here. Great show last night. In case you missed it, yes, Silverstein is on tour right now, celebrating 15 years since our first record, When Broken is Easily Fixed, came out. We're playing the whole thing. We're out with our friends in Hawthorne Heights, As Cities Burn, and Capstan. It's a great tour. Come out and see me. Get your tickets over at whenbrokenisEasilyFixed.com. If you see me around, make sure you say hi. I love to meet all my sinners whenever possible. The show today, we got a great program. And one that's very, very long awaited for me. We, I've been trying to set this up for, I think I said a year and a half, which is crazy. And I actually recorded this a little while ago too. So it's been sitting in the tank very excited to unleash it for you guys. Ben Cook of No Warning is here. And uh, one of the most, I, I think I got to say, one of the most influential hardcore bands of the modern hardcore era. And uh, he has a crazy unique story too. He was a childhood actor before getting into uh, punk rock. And uh, it really is a cool story. Um, we talk all about that. I don't want to spoil it. But uh, sit back, relax, because uh, it's very, very informative and very, very entertaining. 
He also plays in the band Fucked Up. And uh, they have some interesting news lately as well. We spoke before the new Fucked Up record came out, which it's a unique thing. Their singer, Damien, who has a great podcast, isn't really on the record all that much. And people aren't really sure if he's going to be joining them on tour all that much anymore. Is he still in the band? Not sure. Man, I would love to have Damien on the show. That would be a great episode as well. I'm sure we'd get real deep into Toronto hardcore. But regardless, this talk is not to be missed. So for the past couple weeks, we've been trying to raise money for the holidays for a very, very important cause, calfund.org. They look after people who have been victims of the California wildfires, rebuilding homes, working with their mental health. I read today the fire has been contained after burning for 17 days. But that doesn't mean that this is over. That doesn't, just because it's not on, you know, your network news program anymore and people aren't talking about it because they don't have sensational footage of the fires anymore. It doesn't mean this is not going to be an ongoing problem. These people, I read 18,000 structures have burned down, leaving people homeless dealing with insurance. I don't even know what these people have to go through. It is awful. And they need your help more than ever right now. We have a whole bunch of perks we're doing, mostly involving our central theme of the show, which is the hate line. If you donate $25 or more, you will be personally hate lined by our very own Brendan Potter or complimented as well if you prefer that. $10 or more and you're entered into a weekly draw and everyone is entered into a draw where they could be the co-host of the show or I will write them a personalized song. So you can't lose and these people really need your help. So what you do is you head over to calfund.org, you make a donation, take a little screen cap of it, then email it over to sinnersforgood at gmail.com. That's S-Y-N-N-E-R-S, the number four, G-O-O-D, at gmail.com. So far... We're well under our goal of $5,000, and I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit disappointed, but hey, I really think this is important. So many of the listeners are from California. This is happening right in your own backyard, and it's not over. You might think it's over. It's not over. Of course, as well, if you want to get in touch with me, send me an email. Feel free. It is leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read all my email. I try to get back to everyone as well. Some weeks I'm better than others. It's a little tough on tour, but I do try. Also, feel free to add us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff as well. And hey, are you looking for a gift for a fan of the show, maybe, for the holidays? Maybe you're in the car as a passenger. They're driving. They're like, it's Tuesday. We're listening to this on the way to work. And you're like rolling your eyes. But they love it. And maybe they're not a member of the All Access Club. Well... It's the gift that keeps on giving, and for as little as $6 a month, you can get you or your loved one in. And we do great bonus episodes. We do giveaways. We do weekly Q&A sessions with me. I play some tunes. I've done some cover songs, stuff like that. And the best part, I think, is you get to be a part of an amazing community of like-minded individuals. We talk about music. We talk about everything going on in the world. It is just It is just a great vibe, and there's so many Sinner meetups and hangouts that happen all the time. So far, just on this tour, I've seen people in New Jersey and Philadelphia and New York and Florida, and it's just an amazing community. So all I ask is you check it out at leadsingersyndrome.com slash access. and yeah, hey, it makes a great gift. You're going to get them the same old blender that they got last year, what, a boring tie, some kind of video game they're just going to play a couple times give them just give them a subscription and uh, I'm sure they will be tickled pink also if they like band merchandise make sure they check out rockabilia.com over half a million officially licensed items from so many great bands they got everything head over to rockabilia.com use promo code PCJabberJaw and save 15% off your entire order today. All right, let's get in to this week's episode 
and my conversation with Ben Cook of No Warning. Here with Ben Cook, no warning. Fucked up other things. Uh, yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, it's nice to have you. Um, been trying to set this up. Been talking to your manager for a little while, and finally, here we are. And I feel like it's a better time to talk now than it would have been whatever, like a year and a half ago, because a lot of shit's going on. A lot of shit's going on out there, man. Absolutely. So what's the what's the latest? How are you? What's what's what are you doing at this moment? I know you're gearing up for some touring. But right I'm now, cooking right now in this very moment. Yes, yeah, um, like I'm cooking potatoes. What kind of potatoes? Do it a lot of ways. You know, I thought home fries, just classic home fries today. I just got out of like a five day studio thing for like a solo thing I do, which is like 14 hours a day. You know how it is. Wow, that's a lot. So, so I figured uh, I would, you know, just like treat myself to a little comforting. <laughs> breakfast experience yeah so is that the young gov project you're talking about yeah it's a young gov project i did like hello i'm here hey sorry um yeah i did like uh i wrote like 20 songs for that like this summer so i figured i would go in and um you know punish myself and try and get 20 songs done in uh in five days and i did it so that was that's nice to know that's a lot. That. That's a lot of work. I feel like, and I know we're about the same age, and you've made a lot of records. I've made a lot of records, and I feel like it gets harder and harder to do that. To try to put yourself through fourteen hours of yeah. a studio day. Just, how do you, I mean? I know when it's music you're really passionate about, and this is something that you've created yourself. This isn't like five guys in a room making a hardcore record, which is a totally yeah. different energy. This is a lot of pressure on yourself but also more rewarding maybe for yourself in some ways. But I still don't know how get, you know, getting through a day, 14 hours is I, I can't do that anymore. I know, man. Like I, I was like, you know, I can do this. And then halfway through, I was like, man, I'm feeling like this very specific kind of exhaustion that I haven't felt in a while. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit more chill kind of music and stuff. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working with people who I, who I always work with. So it's, it's very like, I kind of, I just know what everyone can do. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I know what everyone's capable of. It's definitely different. Like when we made the no warning record, you know, whatever that was like a year ago, we were doing the same kind of thing, but make, making a hardcore record, um, for 14 hours a day, you know, it definitely takes its toll on the ears and the, and the fucking, and the, and the soul, you know what I mean? So, it was it was more of a pleasant experience than that. Like No Warning has always been a punishing studio experience because we're always like a little hard on uh, hard on ourselves, and we got to make it. You know, when you make that kind of music, it has to be just so perfect and like intricate, and like you know, there's like you know, but but the, but also room for you know rawness. So it's just this weird balance. But yeah, I, I feel you, man. It's like it's like uh, I'm not trying to do that again anytime soon. No, no, absolutely not. And I think it's surprising, you know, you, you grew up in hardcore. And I, I want to get get into all your early life stuff because it's, it's very interesting and very unique, you know, uh, for anyone really, but especially somebody that's that's been a hardcore frontman uh, off and on, I guess I could say for, you know, 15 to 20 years. Yeah. Wow, yeah, 20 years accurate. is pretty, pretty much 20 years. It's crazy. Uh, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry to freak you out like that. <laughs> that's um, all good. But, you know, the music you're doing from a solo side, it's not hardcore at all. And it's all, honestly, it's almost impossible to find any roots in hardcore, which is different because so many guys find hardcore when they're, you know, 15 or whatever. And it's all they do for their whole life. And it's all they care about. And people don't branch out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've always, you know, I, I started, I started when I got into music, I was really into, you know, um, you know, Nirvana, obviously, like that was the kind of the big thing and just like, you know, songs and melody and stuff like that. And 
it just so happened that, you know, that we got into hardcore in high school. And then, you know, we started to, we were always making other kinds of music and, you know, me and I, I, I speak about, you know, the, the no, me and the no warning guys, cause we kind of basically grew up together and we're still making music and they're the ones that helped me with the solo stuff too. And they're off doing, you know, all types of crazy kinds of music. Um, but yeah, we've never really been super, you know, only hardcore, you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, it's just been, I just think I would go insane if I, if I did that, you know, there, there's, there's a, there's a big part of me that can go and do that. And I, I think we've done it pretty well over the years, but, um, yeah, that just, no warning just happened to be the thing that kind of became the vehicle for us to, you know, travel and meet people and just opened up a huge, you know, world to us that was incredibly blessed basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's not something that you really let go of ever. Because you just, you know, we grew up in the band too, so it's like it's kind of a yeah. part of us, whether whether we want to shed it or not. At times, which we don't necessarily, but you know, at times you want to be like, man, I could do something else, but um, you just got to do it. If you want to do something else, you just do it. And I think these days, like in, in the hardcore world and stuff, it's like it's really, it's really it, people, people, people fuck with that. You know what I mean? They're they're uh, they're down if you're doing something. It's a really it's an open minded place to make music, I think. Do you think it's more open minded now than it was in let's say two thousand two when your first record came out? Yeah, for sure. I mean when we when our first record came out, everyone called it new metal and like, you know, I don't hear an ounce of new metal on that record. I don't either. They, they were way you know maybe the next the one, maybe one. for yeah, sure. The second one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had to throw them as some actual new metal for all those comments <laughs> that they gave us back then on those message boards and stuff. But yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's like, it's like, you know, everyone's got these side projects. Everyone's doing like, it's just a whole mashup of, of, uh, kind of cultures and, and, um, and musical backgrounds and musical in, in, influences and, you know, definitely like aesthetic. And, you know, it's just, uh, I think it's more of a, um, it's a safer place to uh, to expand your mind a little bit. <laughs> I, I would agree with you. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get let's get back to the beginning. And um, I know you're from. You're, are you from Toronto? Toronto proper? Where did you go to grow up and go to high school? Yeah, I uh, I, I grew up in the east end of Toronto, like a little um, like around Victoria Park. So it was okay. kind of um, kind of Scarborough ish. Yep. Um, but I grew up, yeah, I grew up here. I spent a few years of my life in England. My whole family's British. I was the first kind of born outside of England. Um, but yeah, I spent my whole life pretty much in the East end of Toronto. And I read that you spent the first year of your life in a body cast. Is that true? Man, where'd you read that? Did I say that once? Is it true? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. Okay. okay, uh, Yeah. 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 Good one, dude. Um, <laughs> I was born with dislocated hips. So, um, when I was around two months old, I went to the doctor and they, they noticed that my, like my ass, um, <laughs> creases of my, of my little baby butt cheeks were, <laughs> yeah. were, were like diagonal. So they're like, Oh, his, his hips are dislocated. So, uh, yeah, I was in a, I was in a body cast and I was strapped upside down for like a month and my mom had to get into the crib, uh, to nurse me and she, and like, you know, be my mom. And, uh, then I spent a year of my life as what my mom called the rock baby, <laughs> not, not rock and roll baby, but an actual rock baby. And I would, uh, I would kind of push myself backwards with my arms to like, that's how I got around because I couldn't move the rest of my body. And then, yeah, it came off and I hated it. I think it was like probably like, you know, what a turtle might feel if like you take right. a shell away. And I was like, ah, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think about that a lot though, because I'm like, man, what the, what did that do to me? You know, I'm like, that's why like, I have this like anger I got to get over or something like that. You know, it's like, I was an angry little, little, little baby. I but was you upset. Can't, you can't remember that. Can you? No, it's like, it's like weird because it's not, you don't actually don't remember it, but there must be some internal memory, but then people feed you what happened, which sort of makes you believe that whether it's true or not. Right. It's it's a weird thing, right? It's, it's kind of in your head, but kind of not. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe that my body remembers it. Like I, you know, like the, your, your muscles remember it, your, 
my my brain might not really remember it, I guess, as right. like a, a memory per se, but it's definitely you know, it's, it's shaped my body. I still have like, you know, one of my legs is way longer than the other. I still have like, you know, over the years of touring and plus the, uh, the pain that I've had to deal with from, from birth has kind of been, you know, a challenge over, over my entire life. So it's a constant reminder that, um, I came out of my mother weird. <laughs> I came out of my mother weird. That's yeah, I okay. came out of my mother there, a weirdo. And what was your family structure like growing up? I mean, your family's from England. I know you have a brother. Uh, what what else was going on in those like very early early days, early years? Yeah, my my mom and dad they they met in a squat. My my mom lived in a squat in London, and my mom my dad was a was a drug dealer. And um, they met, and he kind of charmed her. They didn't last too long, but they lasted long enough to have two kids um my my dad had come my dad had come back and forth from london to canada a couple times in his life because of um he was like uh he was a troublesome young man i guess you would say okay. so um yeah so he convinced my mom he's like oh let's go over to uh, canada and uh, let's, 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 let's do it in canada so she kind of kind of just convinced her to do that my mom was pretty young and uh yeah and then I was born here and then my brother was born kind of shortly after. And then, you know, my dad, my dad was kind of like wrapped up in, in a, he had a, he had a problem with alcohol and drugs and, and stuff like that. And, you know, not being, uh, just being kind of shitty in that way, you know, I try not to hold it against him, but it's kind of hard. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, my mom kind of had, had two little babies and then, uh, she, she ran back to England when, um, when it kind of all fell apart and, um, tried to, uh, have a life there cause that's where our family is. But she realized, you know, we were on, we lived in a place called Bristol, which yeah. is a pretty banging city. I love that place. Yeah. Um, but back then it was really hard for her. She couldn't really get a job. We were on, um, you know, the welfare, English welfare system over there. And then she kind of realized she was just like, you know, man, I think, uh, I think Canada is a place, a better place to raise these boys. So she came back and she got a, a job out of the newspaper. Um, cause she's always been into like plants and, and all that. And she still has the same job pretty much. Oh, wow, and, cool. um, Crazy. yeah, so we kind of, uh, she like, she struggled real, you know, she's, she's the hero of me and my brother, you know, she, she brought us up by herself and, um, yeah, we just, it was in the East end the whole time. It's crazy. And, and this whole acting thing, which I know has been talked about, you know, so much, uh, and you've, you've made a lot of jokes about it. People have made jokes and you seem to <laughs> look back on it kind of fondly. Um, yeah. because a lot, for people that don't know, I mean, we're talking about some pretty serious, roles uh, as a child actor including you know alongside Ryan Gosling for a period of time um you know and like a show like Avonlea or Road to Avonlea like those were shows household names that you were on um how yeah, did man. you get hooked up with that at such a young age that's there's got to be some kind of story yeah it's kind of a weird story um <clears throat> I was uh you know, like I said, my mom was a single mom, so like I was in, a, I would I would be put into like summer camps kind of thing, but kind of more like inner city camps, like a, not where you would like you know go off to like the nat and, and like beautiful nature. Right. <laughs> I'd be in, I'd be in like the harbor front camps. So one summer I was in a canoe camp, and uh, it was literally just a bunch of kids canoeing around this the that pond at harbor front that kind of freezes over in the winter and you skate on it. So yeah. it was like you know under a foot of water and these, you know, they, they just like have these kids canoeing around. And then, you know, I was like, man, I can, this is so boring. Like I've been canoeing, like I've been, I've been up on, I've been, I've been growing up going to lakes and, you know, all that stuff, you know, as, as people from Ontario do. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this camp sucks. So I was super bored. So I, 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 I started to, uh, the only, the only thing that I, that I found that was very fun for me was I would cat, I would, you know, go as fast as I could with the canoe and I would capsize other canoes or do my best <laughs> to try and capsize these other canoes. So I ended up capsizing a canoe with, um, some, you know, some younger kid or some, you know, some kid and they fell into the water and, you know, he, maybe he, 
I can't remember. He couldn't really swim or there was some issue, even though it was like under a foot of water. But I was like, you know, I, I, they'd had enough of me. So they kicked me out. And, uh, the only other really option was this acting camp. And my mom was like, okay, Ben makes, I used to make these like home videos where I would lip sync to, to music. Right, I'd make right. these like music videos myself with this video camera. And, uh, so she's like, okay, he's kind of, he kind of likes the camera. Um, he's like kind of hams it up sometimes at home. Like let's put him in the acting camp. And I actually kind of did well at it and I didn't get kicked out. <laughs> and I, I got some award at the end of it. Um, and that award allowed me to have an audition for some commercial, which was American product called Wrigglers. And they were these, yeah, there were these little, there were these little like plastic insects that you would make in a mold in like the microwave. And then they would be (laughs) these like, it was like Wrigglers, they're fun, they're scary, they're crazy. Um, So, yeah, so I ended up getting that commercial and then the director of that commercial that thought I was, you know, I was a little blonde kid with like a mushroom cut. So he's like, oh, this kid could do well in commercials. So, and then he talked to my mom. He's like, you should get a real agent. You shouldn't like, you know, just like get out of this weird camp world where you're getting right. auditions. And uh, so, yeah, it all started from there. And then I got a real agent. And then, yeah, I was ended up acting with like Ryan Gosling and doing a bunch of goosebumps and shit like that. And some kind of, you know, kids movies and stuff like that. But it was did, cool. Did you like doing it? It's, it's a weird age, right? When you're, you're doing this and also it's like probably your peers at the time, kids you're going to school with, it's probably like really, really badass that you're doing this and you're on TV and stuff. I always don't know if that's good for a kid. It's like, did you get developed, start to develop like an ego? Um, I think we all develop egos anyways, no matter what we're doing, but yeah. I, I'm not sure I developed an ego. I was more almost like I wasn't tortured because I was on TV. It was more like I was like, it was just really excessive, you know, like there were a lot of kids coming at me and, you know, always, you know, just I, as a, as young kids, you don't really know how to like communicate it. Right. So it just comes off as almost like taunting, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, but, but I wasn't necessarily, you know, a quiet kid. So I would just be like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. I act like whatever, like let's go and like do something crazy. I was still a normal kid, but I don't know. It, it I, I, I liked it in a way because I was able to support my music, which I, which I got into really early when I was like, you know, 11 or 12, I knew that I wanted to make music and get a guitar and get all this and like get a little recorder and like, you know, and we didn't really have the money to do that. So once I started acting and I was able to actually start, you know, working pretty young and affording my own stuff, it was kind of like, Oh, well, okay. This is like, this is pretty good. But on the other, on the other side, I was like, man, I don't really like this. Like I, I was, I was, you know, you, when you're, 11, 12, 13, you're, you're, you're aware that what you're doing, if it's corny, it's corny, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I was getting into like, I was getting into punk basically by then. So I started to just kind of have this weird problem with like, I, I just didn't like the idea that I would become this like corny, famous actor potentially like that, you know, people were, people were telling me that I, that's what I was going to be doing. And like, you know, my agent would be like, Oh, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I was in the back of my mind. I was like, man, I really don't want to do that. Like, I remember I had this weird vision of seeing myself on a bus and, you know, just like a movie ad or something like publicly. I don't know whether that had something to do back then with like the taunting or, or whatever. Yeah. And I was just like, man, I really don't want that. I just, I, I was really focused on, I always wanted to be in a band, but I, I didn't know anybody. I only knew my friend Alan who kind of got me into all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was just, I, I just did it for as long as I could basically until I was about 15 or 16. And then I just, I really couldn't stomach it anymore. I, you know, I, yeah. I looked pretty, I looked really young. So I was playing a lot of the young roles and, um, it just got a little like, I don't know. I was like, man, I wish I could, I, I could, I could 
read for a script that I actually thought was cool. Right. Um, instead of just these like little shits. Yeah. I mean, that's a game, I guess that's a lot to play. You know what I mean? A mm-hmm. lot, a lot on you. And then, okay. And then you found hardcore and, and I mean, I, uh, you know, I grew up in Oakville, so I, I remember, you know, the Pine Room and, and the Oakville YMCA and, and seeing punk shows. And I remember seeing your band as we once were, uh, <clears throat> at least, at least twice. I can remember yeah. twice. And I actually thought you guys were great. And cool. what I loved about your band at the time was there was hardcore punk bands, but there weren't a lot, at least that I knew of locally. It seemed like every band you know, in hardcore was trying to be like Earth Crisis or, you know, super like metal, like metallic hardcore. Yeah. And I love that you guys yeah. were like a fast hardcore punk band. And it was funny because I always was like for a while after I think you changed your name, I was like, whatever happened to that band as we once were? That band was sick, <clears throat> you know? So I guess that was kind of your first, was that your first band? Yeah, that was the kind of first band. My 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 first actual band was called the Smegheads. It was like a pop punk band, but we only really played like skate parks and um, this weird like classroom once in Scarborough. But yeah, I, I would say As We Once Were is probably like the first band that we started actually playing to like you know real crowds and kind of started to like sell tapes and stuff like that. Right. But yeah, those were cool. Those were cool shows. I remember, you know, yeah, we would go out to Oakville and like, well, yeah, like, like you said, there were, there was, there wasn't too much of, there wasn't too much music like as we once were in, in Toronto or like the surrounding areas. And I think for that reason, we had this weird, like kind of chip on our shoulder. Like we would go into the shows and be like, oh yeah, we're so cool. Like we're, we're like, we're way better than all these like technical metal, like guys with like beads around their necks and stuff like right, that. Like we're, right. we're so cool. We got a floor punch shirt on like, oh yeah, we're straight edge. Like we know all about all this stuff. And like, you know, looking back on it, you're just like silly kids, but yeah, it was like, it was those, those shows were sick. And like, we, we met so many people from, from those Oakville times. Like we, I still know so many people. You know, I'm talking to you right now. It's yeah. it's a it's a weird life, isn't it? I know, I know, it's crazy. And I was at another show when you were in the band The Getaway. Uh, oh yeah. Which I, I have to bring it up. I I, I mean, <laughs> all I remember, and I was prob I was probably 18, maybe 18 or 19. Yeah. I don't know what year this was. Maybe like 2000. And I just remember. You taking off your shirt and it said "fuck Brampton" written on your back or your <laughs> chest, and apparently yeah, Ray had a knife. Uh, yeah, you know, someone this, had a knife. And well, I don't. I didn't. Never saw a knife. There was an altercation, but just when you think back to those times, uh, <laughs> what goes through your mind? I was just like, man, I was just such an angry little fucking shit. Like, <laughs> what was I doing? Like, why did I care so much? I was just like. You know, you're just like, you, I was a shit disturber. Like right. I was like, I, I was a shit disturber straight up. And, um, we, all, we, we all were, we, we, I don't know. We're all these like East end kids who just grew up, like not even just going to hardcore shows and, and causing shit. We we're, you know, we're, we were just, you know, I, I got kicked out of a canoe camp. Like, it's like, <laughs> you know, that that's all of a sudden I'm in Brampton and I have fuck Brampton on my chest. And then there's a, you know, everyone's getting up in my face and then, that that kicked off because there was a bunch of, uh, I guess you would call dangerous people at that show that we knew, and then it might not have escalated so fast if they weren't there. You know, kind of people who would, right. be, be, yeah. So there was a big fight, and it got like you know, I get, I guess people called it like the Brampton Brawl or the Brampton Riot or something like that. Well, um, what? Let's see, I was there, and I'm sure, and there wasn't that many people there. Like I'm saying, there was maybe, and your mind always changes the perception of what it was in your head. But yeah, I'd true. Say there it was, was a getaway like, show. It must I'd have been fifty people. There was probably fifty people there, and <laughs> everybody. It's like that that thing where oh yeah, I was there. People will just say they were there and they weren't, but I really was there, and it was not much. It was like a little bit of pushing no. and shoving for like, you know, like a minute. No, I know, and. I re- if it's funny though, because it's a legend now, right? It's it's this is a Toronto hardcore legend of this happened, and it's funny now <laughs> thinking back, like the Brampton brawl. Like, give me a break. No one went to I the know, hospital. <laughs> I know. I remember it escalated in the parking lot. Like, I don't even remember okay. it. I I remember it. I remember there was like 
I, I remember like a photo of later of me say, having that on my chest. And I was just like, oh, God, like, what am I doing? I'm so stupid. I think it was just like a joke at band practice. Like, yo, it wouldn't it be funny if I just put fuck Brampton on my chest? And everyone's like, oh, yeah. And then, so I actually did it. <laughs> and then... I don't know. Yeah, it was just like there's so many things I can I can think about from back in those times where I was like, man, what a little prick. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, yeah. yeah, man. So obviously at that time you grew up a little bit and no warning started to get this or no warning, I guess, formed um, <laughs> out of the ashes of as we once were. And you guys got a lot of real hype and success, especially with, you know, in the U.S., and it's a crazy, it was crazy to me because I knew you guys as a local band. So I guess I didn't really understand the magnitude of what was happening, you know, away from, from you. Because being Canadian, you never really know. Like, if you grew up in Canada, you'd think the two biggest fucking bands in the 90s were Our Lady Peace and Tragically Hip. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in the U.S., sure. people are like, who the fuck are those bands? So I think my perception was really off until I started hearing literally every other hardcore band that I liked shouting out No Warning. Uh-huh. And it's like become almost a cliche thing, like, you know, picturing like Scott Vogel being like just randomly bringing up No Warning out of nowhere because he's like obsessed uh-huh. with you guys, you know. So it's <laughs> it's it's funny. It, it became like a thing. But, you know, your success was so, I mean, it was like so, it, sh- it shined so bright for a minute and then it was just gone. Over yeah. over a span of what maybe two and a half three years, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like we. I guess we got we got some hype off the seven inch that we made, and it was like really, it was like kind of just instant, you know. So, you know, you know, when, you know, it's, it's kind of the hardcore way. It's like you drop a cool demo, and all of a sudden it's like bam, like oh they're sick, and then everyone's yeah. on it, and then you know you're like you're 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 down, you're playing like a couple festivals down there, and not a not as many festivals as there are now, but I remember we played that the festival called positive numbers festival down like Wilkes bar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it kind of all started from there. And, um, that was, then we were able to kind of link up with bridge nine and at the time bridge nine were putting out, you know, American nightmares first seven inch. And it was kind of like this like first wave of bridge nine stuff. And, uh, we kind of hopped on that and, um, and we were really quickly, we, we were, we knew we wanted to make a, like a full LP and we kind of, we went, we went, we went for it. we recorded it in, in, in Brooklyn, Bridge Nine, like paid for it. And we was the first time we were kind of ever like, you know, in a studio like that. And, uh, but yeah, we were very, very clear what we wanted to make and how we wanted to sound. And, um, and yeah, but it was weird because like even around the time of making Ill Blood, we had already started to speak to Greg Norrie, who's, you know, yeah. the, the, was the manager of Sum 41. And, and we'd already kind of, you know, basically started to get sniffed out by, you know, these Canadian music industry people. And like, you know, you mentioned Our Lady Peace and um, I'm Mother Earth or whatever. Right. Um yeah, these these that's, are the kind that's of an, that's a great another great example. I said tragically hip, but I Mother Earth's a great oh, example. Yeah, and like <laughs> Treble Charger, some forty one totally. stuff like that. So it's like it's like stuff that Americans might not necessarily know, but you know, if you're a Canadian, you definitely know. And um, but yeah, we were getting sniffed out by all these kind of uh, you know industry type people, and even by then, we we barely done a tour. We I think we did maybe. We did one tour in, 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 on, on the East Coast for our seven inch, and just the hype around Toronto and stuff. We um, we were getting sniffed out by these kind of weirdo weird, weirdo guys, and uh, we were into it. We were into it because yeah. it was like it was like an opportunity. You know, we were being fed a lot of stuff too. We were young, and um, this was. Sorry, I'm just making a coffee. Hey, here you're real fine, quick. man. You're fine. Cool, cool. Um, Sorry. Um, yeah, we were into it. We were like, we we're like, oh man, we can like, we, we don't have to just like, we can do other stuff. We can go off and like, you know, tour the world. And this is, we, we, I always found it challenging. You know, it wasn't as easy to go to Europe and like, you know, book a tour or like, you know, I was like, let's go to the West Coast, but no one knew how to book the tour. Yeah. You know, this was like pretty much MySpace days. And it was just like, 
you know, booking agents weren't, it wasn't as easy and, uh, we were, we just weren't able to do it. And like, I really wanted to, you know, do music for my life. And this was this, you know, uh, I was just this wide eyed kind of, you know, young, young, young guy. And these people were kind of offering us stuff. So we were like, yeah, let's, let's try it out. So yeah, we were like, we finished ill blood. And, um, again, we did one tiny little tour of the Cro-Mags with ill blood. Um, it honestly didn't resonate right away with the hardcore world. Like I said, like it was, some people called it like new metal. Cause we had like, you know, groovier parts, which basically we were just b- ripping off breakdown, which like every single hardcore band I know these days does now, yeah. but like, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, it are the reception to ill blood initially to me, you know, on like message boards was like, I was like, man, like this is so, why doesn't people like, why don't people get what we're doing? Like, this is really frustrating. Like I, I was just, you know, personally just, I've always had the problem, like being a little too far ahead of myself and right. not really like, you know, I have no patience. I'm, you know, I just want to go super fast and get it done and then just like go on to the next thing. So, you know, I just, that's what was going on. And we, we were like, you know what? Fuck this hardcore world we're going and we're going to like, we're going to go on tour with Snoop Dogg and like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to try and we're going to try and like, you know, live our lives and have, have fun and like do whatever we want. And so that's pretty much what we did. And it was a weird step. Like it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like now where, you know, a band, you know, a hardcore band could probably kind of come up and get quite big, pretty, you know, a little easier. It wasn't like, Bands like us back then, they were, we weren't necessarily like mixing melody and, uh, right. super heavy shit unless you were kind of a new metal band. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Right, um, right. Or, I mean, that was what was going on at the time, even with, you know, my band in 2003, we were, you know, whatever. We had heavy parts and stuff. We clearly weren't a hardcore band, but we had singing mm-hmm. and stuff. And then mm-hmm. that movement, you know, whatever you want to call it, Screamo got big. And in 2000, I don't know if it was 2004, 2005, when Suffer Survive came out, I mean, that was everything that wasn't what I think the hardcore community wanted. They oh, yeah. It was they like, didn't want to hear you sing, you know? They didn't want those no. choruses. And I think that oh, that, was, no. that was, in a way, it was like you, you couldn't play both sides. And you tried to. No. Yeah, we were, I don't even know. It, it was like, looking back on it, it was like, I would, it was, it was just weird to grab a little hardcore band. I, I don't think, I don't think the people who, who were trying to like, you know, help us out genuinely, like, you know, they had good intentions, but they just didn't know where we came from, you know? And they were, and you know, they didn't know that it's like, why, why would you, why are you going to do this like so, so quickly, you know, why are you going to make this band sound so poppy right away? You know, like, why don't you let, why don't you let them do their thing? make like, you know, another hardcore record, like build it up a little bit, you know, right. it doesn't have to be so like instant, but, you know, I think these people just were like, you know, looking for this next big thing, like this band could be this, this. And it was like, that was the goal all of a sudden. And we were just like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Like we can, we, we can, we can write choruses. Like this is fun. Like, Oh, I, I can sing now. Like, this is awesome. Like I'm so psyched to sing and like, and like create these like songs that like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of melody, like ever sure. since I was like 11, you know? So, but yeah, it was too much and it fell really flat. 
Um, we ended up playing like these really strange shows where it was like we would play, you know, new songs and like a couple old songs and everyone would kind of like be into the old songs, but like not really kind of because we were like in this weird crevice <laughs> where we found ourselves and we, I don't know, I almost feel that we never even got out of that little crevice. You know, we could have, we could have built on, I don't know, it's pointless to kind of speculate on what could have been, you know, we had a lot of good times, but it was just, I look back on that record when people say they like stuff for surviving stuff. I'm like, okay, I don't necessarily like it myself. I think it's kind of weird, but it, it definitely like reminds me of how many people were telling us what to do at the time. Right. And, uh, it's a little bit of a bitter pill to, uh, to swallow creatively. You know, what if you would have signed with Fred Durst? <laughs> Who knows? I, I don't know, man. I've been, he would have probably been like, yo, just do like, just do some crazy hard shit, man. Just do your thing. It's crazy. It's bad, man. <laughs> Did you actually talk to him? Um, I think I had a phone conversation with him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we, we have that. I had that phone message that I put up on SoundCloud. Right. Um, right. I'll, pl- I'll play it again for people because it's, it is, it's classic at, the, at this point. It's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was a weird time, man. Like we were like, you know, we signed to Linkin Park's like subsidiary label of Warner Brothers. And like literally I, I spent two years making that record arguing with Linkin Park <laughs> because they, you know, you know, they make their music their way and we make our music our way and they were trying to make our music their way. Um, but not, you know, you know, we're not trying to change you, man. Like we're just trying to like help you make, but you know, they are trying to change you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well it it fizzled out and, and uh, I mean, it's, everyone knows you joined fucked up, uh, and you were, you have been in the band. I don't know. really sure what's going on with fucked up at the moment actually, but you know, you've been working with the band as a guitar player for geez, I don't know. Has it been like 10 years? I think it's been like, yeah, 12 years. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Even longer. How is that going from being a hardcore front man to now being able to, you know, be out of the spotlight a little bit and become a guitar player? Did you like that at the time? Did you miss being a front man? Um, I don't think I miss being a front man, but it, it was definitely a strange transition going, coming from a band where I kind of, um, had the, you know, the, the lead role and I would, you know, kind of be the one kind of steering the ship, so to speak. Totally. And then, you know, jumping into, to, to fucked up where I was, you know, just coming in, you know, they had probably, they had already been a band for like seven or eight years and definitely had their, you know, kind of twisted way of working with each other. Um, so I, I had a huge, it was a huge challenge for me to, to a kind of swallow it when, when someone was, you know, telling me what to do, you know, right. I, I was never, I've never been good at that, you know, even in high school and, you know, I've never just taken to any sort type of like authoritative figure or someone kind of telling me, telling me what to do. So that was, that was something to get used to. Um, and also just kind of being in a band where there was, there's six of us now and there wasn't necessarily, a lot of work to kind of go around, you know, I, I, I was expected when I joined fucked up to kind of, you know, kind of create a role for myself in turn, just, you know, cause fucked up are, you know, very much, um, you know, we never had a manager, Mike kind of, you know, steered the whole, sh- the whole thing and everyone kind of has their jobs in the band and, and it worked and it worked and, ha- and still worked pretty well. Yep. Um, you know, really well. Um, but yeah, I, I w- it was a challenge for me to find my place, I guess, behind the behind the scenes a little bit. Like uh, on stage and, you know, in the studio at first, I, I kind of got right in there and, you know, it was all good. But uh, yeah, to, to this day, I still am kind of on my own island, as some <laughs> of the members have said before um, in, in that band, but yeah, fucked up, still going. We took two or three years off. Um, a new record has been written and it's coming out on August or October 5th on merge records. And we'll oh, be doing it. We'll, yeah. We'll be doing a bunch of touring. No, all the for, research, for all the research. I knew you were in a body cast as a baby and I knew all this <laughs> stuff and I didn't know there's a new fucked up record coming out. In 
How backwards is, is that, man? Well, dude, there's a lot of information out there coming at us there all is. day long. So you can, you know, sometimes an, an artist that I love drops a record and I didn't know it was coming. You know, I was it's like, strange. what? It is a, it's such a strange, a strange time, man. Well, dude, that, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, man. Thank you so much for, for doing this and, and discussing stuff. But uh, I do want to talk about the upcoming No Warning uh, tour dates you have. You're doing some stuff with Comeback Kid, my homies. Yep. And uh, oh, yeah. you're doing some more stuff in the States. What's it like being on tour with No Warning when you guys started out at a time when you were in your early 20s uh, and now you're in your mid to late 30s, I assume? I don't know how old you are. And yeah. It must be such a different dynamic, but there must be times when you revert back to your youth. Yeah, it's definitely like we definitely have this dynamic, and you know, there's there's some members of the band that are that are, I don't know how, but they're they're pretty much the same. No disrespect, <laughs> but they're they're they just they just are who they are, and like I love them with all my heart. But when we get in the van, it's it's a similar dynamic and sometimes it's stressful and like, you know, we're not stressful. It's really chill. Like we, we all get along, but it's like, it creates an energy that you maybe wanted to leave behind in your, you know, you leave in your early twenties. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you kind of get in a van and you're like, Oh God, like, okay. And then you just, you just fall back into your, your little role and like, you know, just pass the time in the van. We're all, you know, it's like it's comedy hour for whoever, you know, how it is. Totally. Um, so, yeah, you just you really do get back in this dynamic that has not changed and it could not change unless everyone was into it. There's like, I know there's like maybe me and a couple other guys in the van. We're like, man, like we're I feel like we're such different people. And, then, you know, maybe a couple other guys are just like, nope. You're coming back to uh, you're coming back to this man. Like we're not letting you, we're not letting you, uh, we're not letting you, letting you change. <laughs> That's funny. And, and vocally, I mean, this is the lead singer syndrome podcast, so it's we have to talk about singing from time to time. I mean, you haven't screamed like that, you know, done a show in a while. I mean, you've done some reunion shows here and there, but to be back on tour, how does that? How does your voice hold up? Is it is it taxing on your body? It must be. Uh, not as much as it used to be for some reason. Like you'd think that like when now I'm older, it's like, it's harder, but it's maybe it's cause I've been touring with fucked up for 10 years and I've just kind of have the, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just the, just the training of getting on stage every day, even though I'm not, I wasn't singing with fucked up. It's kind of just like a normal thing to be on, to be on stage for 40 minutes and just like all of a sudden it's over and you've kind of just done it. Um, but yeah, for I used to have a really bad problem with my voice and losing it, and I would, you know, have I'd have vocal steamers on tour. I I was very very adamant about I would never party, I would never drink, I would never smoke, and um, I really I would warm up, and I am a little bit more careless these days <laughs> because I guess the muscle has just um, you know formed a bit better but i do i do you know touring with younger bands and younger hardcore bands i always i always you know kick it with the singers and just like make sure that they're they're feeling good and because i went through such you know some some hard times with my voice and i always try and pass on everything that i know because i have a i think i have i think i know a lot about you know keeping your voice in shape on on tour you know jimmy from higher power who's yeah. actually staying at my staying at my house right now oh, right he on. tell said what's up a, i will for sure um he um oh yeah you guys toured together yeah we just did a few dates yeah in germany yeah he mentioned that you were wearing a what shirt was it it was a oh man it's slipping my mind right now like i don't know punk, the joke people uh, make fun of me because they're like do you wear any shirts of bands that that you know were after 1994, yeah, it's it's always something like that. <laughs> yeah, that I'm I think it was a 90s punk shirt. Yeah, but Jimmy, Jimmy, he's uh, I'm I've actually I've kind of become I don't know, like I, I help I help Scott Vogel with, and Tara with the with the vocals yeah. for Tara over the past couple albums and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I try and like you know 
really spread the love to fellow singers because I know how it is, especially when you're screaming out there and it's like, it can be, uh, it can really get you down. If you lose your voice on oh, a yeah. tour, like, I, you know, you know, you know what I mean, right? Like, oh, yeah. it's just it's the like, worst. you feel like a piece of shit, oh, useless you feel piece of shit. What am I even a, doing here? Yeah. I am a failure. I yeah. can't even do this. Like, yeah, it's like, oh man, I'm feeling like, I'm feeling emotional just saying those words yeah. and thinking about yeah. it. Wow. No, it's, it is, it is crazy. No. And, and yeah, I think too, part of it, and you, you talk about back in the day, you didn't, didn't drink, didn't party, went to bed early, all that stuff. And now maybe mm-hmm. it's a little, you're a little looser with it. I think mm-hmm. part of it is so much of that, of losing your voice and your health. There's a lot of mental aspects of it to it as well. Yeah. And I think that now that you're, once you gain a little bit of confidence, I think mm-hmm. that that helps too, because the second oh, that you don't have that confidence anymore, you, you know, you can't hit that note. Because if, if you think you can't hit that note, you can't hit that note. Yeah, man. It's, it's a mental it's a, magic, dude. It, it really is a crazy thing. And once you've gotten yeah. through, let's say, years and, and years of like, well, we haven't canceled a show before. We've done this. I've gotten through this before every time. And I'm going to be mm-hmm. able to do it again. Because my voice has been worse and I've gotten through it. And, you know, yeah. once you have that... Uh, sorry to use the cliche PMA, but once you yeah. have that, it, it, it does, it definitely does, does help. Yeah. I was going to use the term PMA as well. I didn't want to get John Joseph on this uh, podcast <laughs> just yet. He's been on the show. I love if, him. If you want to, if you want to talk about, uh, talk about your ex bass player for 40 minutes and I won't get a ed, word in edgewise, go ahead. I'm, I'm ready for it. I know. I've toured with John, so yep. I know, I know, uh, he, he's, uh, he, He's an intense guy, and he's an intense guy. Respect, yeah, mad, but yeah, mad respect. I saw, I saw Cro-Mags just the other month, and they still fucking kill it. Yeah, man, it's, they're heavy. They're I killing know. it. I like both versions, you know. Right. Har- Harley has been. I don't know. The last time I saw Harley, it was a little like he's saying some, some outdated stuff. You know, you can't. Really, I'm like, come on, man. Like, you know can't say that you can't say that stuff like Mm -hmm. it's whack bro um but yeah it's all good but yeah i used to i actually used to um vomit before every show for two or three years every single show because of my like stage anxiety oh okay Um, yeah i've heard of that happening yeah and i would force it i would force vomit so i would um sorry to get gross like out of nowhere um but yeah this is the shit people want to hear this is it, man. Um, so yeah, I would actually, I would like put my fingers down my throat and I would just do a little bit of a, a barf mm-hmm. and I would, uh, and then that would kind of like set me off into the show get my, like, get my, get my adrenaline going in a different way. But I, but it's actually damaged my esophagus in the same way, um, you know, uh, like a bulimic person, Yeah. you know, so there's certain foods I can't eat now. Um, cause I get this weird, I don't know. It's super gross, but yeah, is it like, yeah. yeah. Like esophagitis, like I have problems with heartburn and, uh, you know, and, and acid and stuff. Is, is that yeah. similar to that? It's the same thing. I can't remember what I, it was. Someone actually told me this year when I was in the studio with terror, um, it was Nick Jett's girlfriend who's, um, um, uh, like, um, I think she's a nurse or something, but she, she had a name for it. And yeah, it's like something to do with the esophagus and it's kind of very specific to people who have um, forced vomited for yeah. quite some time. And yeah, it's like it, it definitely affected my vocal cords back then for sure. But uh, I try not to do that anymore. I, only when the uh, when the weird little episodes happen when I'm eating like Chinese food or spicy yeah. food or something. Yeah, OK. Well, OK, kids, don't do that. Don't make yourself puke. Don't make yourself puke, and if you're making yourself puke, you know, figure out why and try to yeah. try to get to the bottom of it. No, that's one of those things that's like you know that it can't be good, but you know, hey. No. Nah. All right, man. Well, hey, yeah. anything else to add? Anything else to tell the people? Maybe what's when's this young go stuff going to come out? I think it's going to come out in the spring. Um, I'm going to try and you know, I've 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 done a lot in in the in the music world as as we all have, but there's a couple things that I want to try out and see if I can um, see if I can get out there and tour with that kind of music and see if see if that works for me you know it's kind of a goal that I've set out for myself so cool. you know I hope I hope to uh, figure that out absolutely I, I wouldn't know where to start with that stuff in that world 
And mm-hmm. that's a challenge for sure, I think, but something that you're going to learn a lot from another experience. Yeah. I'm just going to throw myself out there again and hopefully everything, you know, stars align, but if not, it's all good. Um, but yeah, otherwise I just, yeah, I appreciate ta- you talking to me, man. I'm, it's been, uh, it's been cool. Absolutely, man. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Enjoy dude. the rest of your day and, uh, I'll see you around. Actually, Thank you, you know brother. what? I might, I may be at your Windsor show. Oh, sick. It's, You'll uh, be one of like 20 people. It, it, nah, it's, it's not going to be that. <laughs> it's not going to be that bad, but the venue is, is pretty rough. Cool. So, yeah. Um, that's one. That's kind of one. I'm, I, I tend to look forward to the weird ones, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, so yeah, for some reason I'm looking forward to Windsor. So hopefully I'll see you there. I'll see you there. It's going to be a definitely a weird one. Sick. All right, Ben. All the best, man. All right. Later, man. You yeah. too. Yeah. Take care. So there it is with Ben. Sadly, I did not make it to the Windsor show. I flew home from Europe right after and I, I didn't make it. It was really too bad because, uh, what a band, and uh, if, if they do some more stuff, make sure you head out and check out No Warning on tour, and check out Fucked Up as well. The new record, great record, very different, and again, I don't know if everyone's gotten to the bottom of what's going on with Fucked Up. Maybe that will happen in a future episode on this show. So as always, I'm going to leave you with some music, and uh, Ben has done a lot of diverse stuff I'm going to play one of my favorite No Warning tracks from the debut record, Ill Blood. This one is called Answer the Call. It's a quick one, and I'm going to follow it up with a Young Gov tune called Ripe for Love, followed up by a clip of Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit saying some wonderful things. Peace and love, everybody, and I'll see you next week. So scared And what we never got The 
calling. I was message about the band No Warning. Yeah, so I was on. I uh, went out to see Avril on uh, one of the shows in Boston, and they were just uh, playing it in the back lounge, and I heard it, and I was like bugging out. I didn't know who it was, and they told me there was a band that's still in development that's not signed that that you guys have. And I started bugging out on him and trying to get some info. And he said that he would drop a line to you. And uh, so when I got back home, I went ahead and figured out how to find you. I like it a lot, man. I think it's, uh, I think it's, for one thing, has a lot of presence. But it seems like there's a lot of substance there that's that's very convincing and very real. A lot different than a lot of the punk rock that I'm hearing. They got something special here, man. And, it, and it's just fucking hard and fat and like, Hard and fat and 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 and f